0: Excellent. Um, So, good morning, Willow Byrne. It's pretty exciting to come up and um, share Melchizedek through you. To begin with, I want to start by reading from Psalm 110. So if you guys want to turn there, um, I'll give you a bit of a sec to get there, and we'll we'll dive right in. So, Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, this is, well, okay, first of all, let's just hold on a second. Bit Bit of context, this is David writing a psalm, right? Um, So the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Um, So... Who is this verse talking about? The Lord. So this is David writing. The Lord says to my Lord. Who, who are these Lords that we're talking about right now? Any thoughts? The Lord. The Lord says to my Lord. Anyone heard of those ones before? Father, the, Jesus. the Father? Yep. Father Jesus. Exactly right. But how do we know that? The right hand of- yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, So, to begin with, the Lord says to my Lord. In the uh, the Hebrew, the first one, the Lord, is Yahweh. So that's God the Father. And the second one is just my Lord. Um, And so we can figure out who David's my Lord is by having a look at Luke 20. And I'll just read it uh, because you'll be flipping around otherwise. Um, And this is... in like around this area in Luke, um, the Sadducees had been trying to trip up Jesus, asking him like um, fancy questions to try and get him to say something wrong. And one of the things that Jesus says in that encounter is, then Jesus said to them, this is Luke 20, 41, then Jesus said to them, why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, David calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? So this is pretty much just Jesus saying, when David's talking about the Lord says to my Lord, he's talking about God the Father to me, Jesus. Pretty much. So, back to our Psalm 110 verse, if we know we're talking about Jesus now, um, and David's going, the Lord says to my Lord, he says a whole heap of things about him, but then at the end he said, uh, the Lord God the Father has sworn and will not change his mind, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So, Jesus is a priest for the ever, forever after the order of Melchizedek. Are you all with me so far? Not, uh, not too complicated. So I figure we've probably got to figure out who this Melchizedek is to try and understand this. Um, so a bit of a roadmap for the sermon, just so you know where we're going. I'm going to ask two questions today. The first one is, who is Melchizedek? And the second one is a mystery and you're just going to have to pay attention until we get to there um, to to uh, hear what that second question is. Um, now, Melchizedek is a bit of an oddity in the Bible. Uh, like I kind of teased on Facebook, he shows up in Genesis uh, interacting with Abram. Um, and then about a thousand, so that Abram was around like 2000 BC. And so then uh, he's mentioned once there. We see him again in the psalm that we just read. We know that David was writing the psalms about 1000 BC, so it's like you know, Genesis, 1,000 years later, the Psalms. And then we see him again in Hebrews, which was written about 60 AD. So that's another 1,000 years right there. So it's this really cool dude who just like pops up obscurely in Genesis and 1,000 years later pops up again. Um, and we just see, oh, Jesus is a priest forever after the order of this guy. Right, I think that's all you get. Um, <laughs> we'll move on to, to Hebrews. Um, so he's, he's pretty cool. Uh, there's a cool counter, by the way. Apparently I say cool uh, a fair bit. So now that I've pointed that out, you'll all be counting... Um, All right, so I figured to answer this question, who is Melchizedek? Let's have a bit of a look at what the Bible says about him. So uh, if you can turn to Genesis 14, we'll have a bit of a read of the account of Melchizedek and Abram. Um, So a bit of context for this verse that we're about to read. Abram um, has, well, um, these other kind of kings around Abram had come and stolen Abram's nephew Lot, and Lot has just gone out with a couple of his men to basically get a uh, lot back and a whole heap of stuff that was stolen. Uh, and he defeats these other kings, right? And so on his way back, and we'll pick up the verse here. So Genesis fourteen, seventeen to 20. Uh, After Abram returned from defeating Ketalauma and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, um, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying... Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Um, So just in this little passage, what kind of things do we know about Melchizedek so far? What I want to do is just kind of get a couple of of dot points so that we can kind of flesh out this Melchizedek character a little bit. So just from this passage, what what can we learn about Melchizedek? King of Salem, that's an excellent one. Interestingly, um, a lot of scholars think that Salem is just ancient Jerusalem. It's like, it's literally in the name, Salem, Jerusalem. Um, So potentially king of Jerusalem, uh, like ancient Jerusalem. Um, So that's a great one. What else can we learn about Melchizedek? He's a priest of God Most High. Yep, yep, very good. He's a priest. Um, And interestingly, when I was running this past the guys, I think it was maybe... Maybe Parkey or or Daniel that pointed this out in that little verse that we read. um, He attributes Abram's success of killing these other kings to God. Um, So it says, uh, Blessed be Abram, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. If, I don't know, if some kind of cool dude went to steal back a nephew and came back to you, you might be like, Oh, good on you. That's. Good job, you absolutely smashed him. But yet Melchizedek is attributing the success of this to God, which is pretty awesome. So yes, he's a priest. What else do we know? I've got a list, so you've got another three seconds before I start going through it. One, two, three. All good, all right. So we've got King of Salem, he's a priest. Abram ties to him um, as well. So we'll read a little bit later that um, uh, Abram also... Uh, considers Melchizedek greater than himself, which is important when we have a bit of a look at the difference between the Melchizedekian priesthood and the Levitical priesthood. He is generous. He brings out bread and wine um, to Abram. You can just imagine that, right? So... Um Abram's just come back from this like war. he you know been all anxious because his his nephew's been taken. He comes back, his men are all like sweaty and, and buggered from fighting and stuff like that, and this awesome godly priest dude comes out with like bread and wine to kind of nourish them and stuff. And I think it was uh, it's pretty interesting that you know, where where else do we see bread and wine in the Bible? Any thoughts? Bread and wine in the Bible? Body and blood? You're right over there. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> Um, and one of the other things that was pretty interesting is um, we we see that uh, Abram comes and oh, actually first of all, the king of Sodom comes out. It just says um, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. Then Melchizedek came out, and then it like talks about all this cool stuff that Melchizedek's doing. Melchizedek. Um, and Adrian pointed out when I was going through this um, that. In the uh, Old Testament, specifically in Genesis, usually they'll have like pairs of things. So something that is... Um, not great compared with something that is really, really great. And we all know how like Sodom turned out. And so you see this like king of Sodom coming out. Doesn't Abram doesn't really pay him much attention, but he pays all this attention to Melchizedek, um, uh, I guess probably the greater of the two kings. We also see that uh, a little bit later in the passage, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through it, but um, Abram comes back with all this kind of loot and stuff and pretty much um gives Sodom all his stuff back because he doesn't want to take anything from Sodom but then decides to give Melchizedek like a tithe of everything that he had Um, so he kind of doesn't want to have anything to do with the king of Sodom but wants to have like everything to do with the king of Salem Melchizedek which is pretty cool so we're going to move on um, because I'm conscious of time we're going to jump over to Hebrews 7 so as a recap from that passage we know that he's king of Salem Uh, He's a priest of God Most High. Abraham ties to him and considers him pretty cool. He's generous, uh, and he's generous. So Hebrews 7. we we're going to punch through this really quickly. Then uh, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Um, So how many of those things can you guys put on your resume? No beginning of life, no end of days. What other things can we learn about Melchizedek from this passage? What, What additional things? He's very unique, yes, absolutely. He is very unique, yep. Um, no family tree no genealogy yep no successes successes, yep um i find it interesting that his like titles king of salem and his name king of uh king of righteousness and king of peace uh, are pretty awesome without beginning of days or end of life there's not too many people that can say that without father or mother or genealogy there's not too many people that can say that and resembling the son of god um not too many people can say that either, I don't think. So um, so to recap, he is a king. He is a priest. His name means king of righteousness. He is the king of Salem, so he's king of peace. He is without beginning of days or end of life. He has no father or, uh, father or mother or genealogy. He resembles the son of God. Um, Abraham considers him pretty great and ties to him. He is generous. And on top of all that, Jesus is some kind of priest after the order of this guy. Um, But that's all the Bible tells us. So, (laughs) like, who is this guy? Um, It's, uh, yeah, I kind of wish that, you know, the Bible would just go, well, he's actually exactly this person, but that's all we get. Um, so just before we get on to our second question, I want to present a couple of candidates as to who this guy could be, just for interest's um, interest sake, and I've ordered these in my, my least favourite to my most favourite, but the theologians actually have it the other way around. <laughs> um, so I just want to present these, I'm not exactly sure which one it is, you can make your own mind up. So the first candidate is that this Melchizedek is just a really cool non-Jewish priest guy. Um, so he must have had some kind of personal revelation um, of God that God perhaps gave him because uh, he was obviously non-Jewish. Um, and so that's just, that's just one option. He could have been a non-Jewish priest. The second one, second candidate is that he is actually a Theophany or a Christophany, so Theophany, Theo, God. Thanos, I think, is um, to appear, so God to appear, um, and Christophany, Christ, to appear. Um, so this is like a, a, a theophany or a Christophany. is kind of like a pre-incarnate visitation of, of, of God on the earth. Uh, and we see these in the Bible um, all over the place. So we've got, in Genesis 32, we see that Jacob wrestles with God. Um, so that is a theophany of God. Um, we see even just Ben the other day was talking about um, um, Sarah and we know that three men came to visit um, Abraham I think it was Abraham at that point Abram, Abraham, same guy um, and we find out later that two of them are angels and one of them was God and Sarah laughs at God because he said oh you're going to have a, uh, a child in here, year and she's like what? Um, this could also be oh, we, we see theophanies in the Bible uh, in the burning bush so that's God appearing on the earth uh, and also in the pillar of fire um, so are, I guess arguments for the theophany, there's not too many people that can say that they uh, have no beginning of days and no end of life, right? There's only really one kind of God that fits that, um, that kind of thing, but it might not be a literal uh, thing either. So um, the other thing it does say is without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest, so didn't actually say he is the Son of God, just resembles the Son of God. Um, so two reasons for or against now this one I've been busting through these other ones because this one's my favourite it's actually the theologian's least likely one but I just found it super interesting uh, and intriguing so this Melchizedek guy who would have been someone fairly unique Um, he would have been this old guy that just seemed to know a lot about um, God Uh, he would seem to have just always been around and didn't seem like he was going anywhere Um, and at this point in time there are three people on earth who might fit this uh, this um, I don't know this description does anyone know who these these three people might be? it's the sons of Noah and in particular Shem um, so um, the sons of or the sons of Noah uh, Ham, Shem and Japheth were about 100 years old when they stepped off the ark. And we know that they lived for another 500 years after that. We know that when God wiped everybody out in the flood afterwards, he said, I'm not going to contest with man anymore. I'm going to make their days 120. So all of humanity started living shorter lives. Um, Yet Shem, Ham, and Japheth, specifically Shem, it says, lived for at least another 500 years. Um, And if you have a look at the timelines, he could potentially overlap with where Abram was, like in their lifetime. And you see where Shem ends up, he ends up around Jerusalem, which is where all this is taking place. Um, He would have known all of the stuff about God from before the flood. So there were only really like Noah, the sons and their wives that came through the flood that would be able to talk about like Adam and all of those other um, things about God from before the flood. So he'd be this dude who knew a lot about God Um, And interestingly, when I was having a bit of a look into this, you remember the story where uh, Ham goes in, sees Noah in the the nude, goes out and gets his um, brothers, and his brothers do the walking backwards thing and put the sheet over Noah, all that kind of thing. Well, um, Noah ends up cursing Canaan, um, who is Ham's Ham's son. So Noah, Ham, Canaan. Um, And he says this. He says, He said, "Cursed be Canaan, the last of the slaves. He will be to his, uh, uh, sorry, the last of the slaves. He will be to his brothers." He also said, "Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. Shem is the king of Salem, where all the Canaanites are." It was just, it was just a really cool little coincidence or lineup of things. I have no idea. This is the least likely. The theologians don't think that this is it, but I just found it super interesting, and I want to share it with you. Um, So, who is Melchizedek? I have no idea. I don't know. (laughs) So first question, I'm doing really well, aren't I? First question, wouldn't have a clue, but that's okay because the second question, which you've all been so eagerly awaiting, I feel is far more important than who is Shem. Um, And by way of a bit of an introduction into this second question, it wouldn't be a proper Willow-Burnian sermon unless I had some reference to the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. So this is my little segue into the next question. In the latest uh, movie, Avengers, Infinity Wars, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's this group of people and they're looking for this, this lady named Gamora and they find the people that think, uh, that they think have her and they just start getting to this big biff up trying to get Gamora back. And so in amongst all the fighting, there's a bit of a break and the guys looking for Gamora go, uh, where is Gamora? And the guys that they're fighting go, well, oh, I'll do one better. Who is Gomorrah? And then it pans to this guy named Drax. Now, Drax just struggles with English concepts and he wants to really fit in. He's trying to one-up these guys. So you go, where is Gomorrah? I'll do you one better. Who is Gomorrah? And Drax goes, I'll do you one better. Why is Gomorrah? It just doesn't make any sense, but it's quite hilarious. But in this case, I'm going to side with my man Drax because I believe the more important question than who is Melchizedek is why is Melchizedek? Why is he here? What can we learn about him? Um, And... Uh, like, what does he point to? you? What, what can we get out of him? Um, and so I believe that Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And when I say type of Christ, I'm not saying like another, another Jesus. There is only one Jesus, so don't get me wrong. What I am saying um, is that we can use Melchizedek, and I believe the author, author of Hebrews is using Melchizedek as a way to explain, or he uses the features and attributes of Melchizedek to explain the deeper truths of Jesus more clearly. Um, so I believe that Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And we can see some of the things about Melchizedek to help us learn more about Jesus. Um, so to begin with, I've just got a couple of points here that I want to compare. Um, we know that Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what's the other, what's the other order or priestly order? Levitical priesthood. Yep, yeah, exactly. So we're going to compare the Melchizedekian priesthood that Jesus is after to the Levitical priesthood and see if we can't find some differences that help to explain the Melchizedekian priesthood or what Jesus does a bit better. And the first one is that the Levitical priesthood has hereditary, and the Melchizedekian priesthood is one that is um, inaugurated by like God's oath or some kind of personal revelation. So a quick recap on the Levitical priesthood. We have um, the tribes of Israel. Levi was one of the tribes of Israel. Um, they were like the the priestly tribe, specifically a couple of generations, I think it's two generations after Levi, we have this dude named Aaron, and all of the descendants of Aaron were the priests of Israel, and all of the other Levites were like the support structure for those priests. So you'd have the actual priests who would do the sacrifices, and a like the um, atonement, all that kind of stuff, and then you'd have the rest of the Levites, who were the dudes that were like packing up the tabernacle and do, just like doing all the logistics behind it. And we see that the Levitical um, priesthood, or the tribe of Levi, they were given; they, well, they lived off the tithes of the other the other tribes. Um, so the Levitical tri- uh, the Levit- Levitical priesthood, was one that was hereditary and passed down from like. You know, father to son, and specifically um, the descendants of Aaron were all of the priests. Um, And we compare that to the Melchizedekian priesthood where Melchizedek had some kind of personal revelation of God, but more importantly, um, it even says that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, that's God giving an oath, that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That is, that Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So that's God specifically saying, you're a priest forever. Um, So an oath of God compared to the hereditary nature of the Levitical priesthood. We also see that um, the Levitical priesthood is temporary and the Melchizedekian priesthood is eternal. So uh, the Levitical priesthood is temporary in the fact that these dudes just keep on dying. like They just keep going down and down in generations. um, The sacrifices are only temporary sacrifices. They're a band-aid solution. They're not a... um, they're not like a permanent solution to our sin. Um, and we see that the Melchizedekian priesthood is one that is eternal um, because we know that Melchizedek has no beginning of days, nor end of life. Um, so this is some kind of eternal priesthood. Um, we also see that the Levitical priesthood is just, it's a, it's a national priesthood specifically for Israel. Whereas the Melchizedekian priesthood, this is some dude who's not, he's like some non-Jewish dude. So this is like some guy who pretty much anyone can can go to. The Levitical priests primarily were, well, they were really only there to atone for the sins of like the Israelites and stuff because they were one of the the tribes of Israel. Uh, We also see that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek and blessed him. So the Melchizedekian, I'll get into this in just a sec, the Melchizedekian priesthood is one that is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Um, And the author of Hebrews goes on to explain this a little bit more in Hebrews 7 verses 4 uh, to 7. He says, Just think how great he was, even though this is Melchizedek, think how great Melchizedek was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires that the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is from their fellow Israelites, even though they are also descended from Abraham, this man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So Abraham, the lesser, Melchizedek, the greater. And what the author is trying to like explain here is... Um, Abraham, so, well, the the Levitical kind of tribe was still in Abraham's loins at this point, and yet Abraham is tithing to Melchizedek, this kind of greater priesthood, and Melchizedek is blessing Abraham, and so he's pointing out that the lesser Abraham was clearly blessed by the greater, Melchizedek. The Melchizedekian priesthood is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Um, And finally, the fact that... um, Jesus, sorry, the Melchizedek, he was a priest and a king. So this doesn't really happen um, too much in the Bible except for really Jesus. And there's a couple of points. Um, I think there's there's a story of King Saul when he's trying to go and defeat some guys and um, he's not entirely sure what he's supposed to do. So he goes and makes a little bit of a sacrifice, but it's not exactly what he was supposed to do. That was the priest's job and um, God ends up like rejecting him (laughs) for it. So it's not great. You see... um, that it's very unique for a king to also be a priest. <laughs> um, so all of this to say... Um, how are we going for time? Hmm. Um, all of this to say that... I feel like I've just blown through this. My goodness, it took 50 minutes when I went through this last time. I've been going really, really quick. <laughs> um, so I guess we can we can see the Melchizedek, one, he does a couple of things. He... Um, he's a type of Christ. So a lot of the things that we see in Melchizedek, we can attribute to Jesus, although Jesus is still even greater again than Melchizedek. But we can also use Melchizedek to contrast what we already have. It's kind of like if you say, um, you know, if you say I've got like a dog and somebody else has a dog and if you just say, well, I've got a dog and you've got a dog, it's the same as saying, well, this is a priesthood and that's a priesthood, but until you can put them together, you kind of like see the differences between them. So Melchizedek's this kind of cool in-between dude that compares the the priesthood that Jesus is after to what they have to show how much better the priesthood that Jesus has is. And on top of that, we can see attributes in Melchizedek that we can apply to Jesus to learn more about him, um, so I just want to I want to finish off with this little bit, and then like a, a bit of a closing thought. Um, I'm pretty glad that, that Jesus is a priest um, after the order of Melchizedek because the Melchizedekian priesthood is is pretty cool, and the um, the author of Hebrews kind of sums it up really really well in this. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. That's the Levitical priests. But Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood And therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to him through God because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy and blameless, pure and set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And unlike any of the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all of their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Um, And when I was reading through this, uh, this this line, I probably should have like highlighted it. Uh, This one. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to him through God sorry, come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. There's just so much like that one little, oh man, that one little verse just gives me so much hope and joy that he is able to save us completely. The old Levitical priesthood was one that was fallible. It was temporary. It was made like these dudes were trying to administer it, but they were dying and they had to sacrifice themselves. Whereas Jesus was the one true sacrifice. He was perfect. He didn't need to sacrifice anything first for his sins, Um, and he gave himself up for us. So therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And I just love the picture of, you know, when we go up to give an account for our life, um, that God is going to be there. And when, like, uh, sorry, Jesus is going to be there when God's, like, reading this list of, oh, this is what you've done wrong, and this is, and hopefully there's a couple of, you know, well done, good and faithful servants in there as, as well. It's just such a beautiful picture that Jesus will be there and he says, no, he knew me, I've paid for that in full. Um, so that was pretty that was pretty cool. So when um, David writes the psalm, Psalm 110, and at the end there he says, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest of the ever after the order of Melchizedek. There's actually this huge richness of context <laughs> behind just that one little verse that Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, and it's one that gives me, me a lot of hope and I wonder like how do we respond to that now how do we respond to the fact that we are saved completely and that Jesus is always there to intercede for us what does what do our priorities look like how do we um how do we look at our sin in light of that and when I was preparing for this um God just it uh, was really talking to me about um you know if you if you see um your sin is this kind of like, oh, whoa, is me. I'm, I'm such a sinner and, um, you know, the, uh, I feel like I'm closest with God when I'm just like focusing on my sin and he's just but he's really good, but I'm just feeling so weighed down by all of this. Um, where is the victory in that? Where, where is the God is able to save you completely um, and he is always there to intercede? Um, and I just, like, just, and I only say that because I've seen that in my life in the past, and I'm sure we all go through like, like, like periods of that. But I just want to remind you guys and to encourage you guys that we have a priest that is after the order of Melchizedek, which is just awesome. And I hope you kind of like understand a little bit more about what that means and what that means for you. Um, and that means that you don't have to, like, we are free from that. We're free from that. Um, crippling thought of that sin. Yes, we're imperfect. We're going to have to deal with it. I'm not saying that it's a light deal. Jesus had to die for it. But we don't have to be crippled by that anymore. Um, when, you, when you stuff up, you can pick yourself up, you can dust yourself off, and you can move on. <laughs> that's great. And I think that's just that's an amazing hope that we have um, in Jesus. Um, so I'm pretty pretty glad that we have a Jesus that is after the priesthood of Melchizedek doesn't actually matter who he is. That's what, that's what it stands for. Um, so I don't actually know how long that's gone for. I think um, doesn't yeah, it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You'll, you'll be glad because when I practiced this, it did go for 50 minutes. So I'm sure you're happy that I went and Ben's happy that I went uh, on on the short side. But um, having said that, it's, it's like a really awesome sermon. To, I, I honestly don't feel like I need to say much to lead into communion because the, like the whole um, I don't know, this whole kind of thinking about Jesus as that one true sacrifice, that one bridge, that like that weird kind of, he is the king, but he's also the priest. So he is perfect and awesome, but he is also the way, he's the only way that we can get to that perfectness and awesomeness and and live with him forever and have that eternal relationship with God. As we kind of like head into communion, I I just want you guys to think about what it means that Jesus' priesthood is one after Melchizedek and it's not one after the Levitical one. He is is a permanent priesthood. He is eternal. It's the greatest gift that we can ever hope to receive. Yeah, we might just think on that as we go into communion. Oh, Father God, I I really do thank you that yours is a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek and not not one of the Levitical uh, ones, Lord. It's just such a small little statement that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's such a small little statement, but the context and the richness and the depth of, of what that actually means for us as sinners uh, that are imperfect and cannot save ourselves is just phenomenal, Lord. It's, it's the greatest gift we could ever be given, and we thank you so much for it. It was a gift that came at such a great cost. That You gave yourself up so that we wouldn't be cut off from you for eternity. You loved us so much that you had a plan for us. You freed us from our sin, Lord, with this. It's something we will struggle with, but you have paid it in full. And when we are to give an account for our life and we see all the things that we have done wrong, you'll you'll be there as our advocate. You'll intercede for us and you'll say that it has all been paid for those who accept you. So thank you for that, Lord, and as we come to this table, I just pray that we would think on that, I would th- that we would think on the reality of the fact that you have saved us, Lord, that our reality isn't um, one of hopelessness, but of hope because of what you've done for us. So I thank you for that, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.